Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of RealCom Live. Um, today, we have got a phenomenal topic. My one-word description for today is important. We're going to be looking at environmental and sustainability. We're going to focus on the E part of ESG, and we've got an environmental and sustainability forum coming up at our conference in June, and this is kind of the sneak preview of what we're going to be talking about. So RealCom has been on this topic, specifically the E part, uh, since the inception, um, I remember sitting in New York City five years ago, looking up at a building, all the lights are on, only a couple people in the building doing the cleaning. And I just wondered, you know, why not those lights off, right? Why not keep them off? Um, I was always taught when you leave the room, turn off the lights. And that was really the first exposure. And through the years, we've gone through various ups and downs on the energy side, the energy conservation side. It, it has come in and out of fashion probably three times, maybe even four in my career. My hope is this time it sticks for 20 plus years, we've been using a carrot. And uh, now I think we're gonna be using a stick a little bit more as we're seeing more and more regulations. So we've got three really phenomenal guests today. We've got Clayton Alwich, SVP, Operations Engineering Sustainability for Hans, Maureen Ehrenberg, CEO Blue Skyer IBE, and Michael Daschel, SVP, Sustainability for Brookfield Properties. I mean, collectively with their experience, they have got you know millions and millions of square feet uh, under their purview, and uh, and really that this topic of keeping these buildings more environmentally sound um, is is on their radar screen. So let's bring on our guests and get into this great conversation. Hello, everybody. How are you? Great. Great. Hey, Hey, Jim. Good, good to see you. I was trying to calculate in my head how many square feet. I mean, Maureen, you were with CBRE and JLL and WeWork and then Clayton with Heinz and, and Mike, you know, your portfolio is massive. So I was trying to do the math, you know, how many square feet? I just said a lot. <laughs> um, so so you don't have to deal with these things just at, uh, you know, at, at one or one off. I mean, you have to deal with this topic at scale, right? And that that's a whole different story. So before we get started, I'd just like to go around and have each one of you give a little background led you to this day, to today, to this conversation on environmental and sustainability as it relates to the built environment. Clayton, we'll start with you. Yeah, Jim, I've been working with the built environment and real estate for right at 50 years now, 48 years with Heinz, and I grew up with Deep Roots and Heinz Engineering Group. And over the years, I've had a variety of expanding roles with Heinz. And uh, about five to six years ago, they asked me if it was a logical connection between me and sustainability before we really all accepted ESG. And I've always enjoyed making better buildings, which is kind of the roots of Jerry Hines. And so it was a natural fit to, to really take on the E in ESG. And we also have a, a global head of ESG that helps the firm really pull together all the efforts that goes on in Heinz for ESG. Uh, so we have a global head of ESG, but I, I own the E in ESG for Heinz and having a lot of fun doing it. It makes an awful lot of sense with, again, congratulations on an incredible career. Not many people can say uh, almost 50 years. So congratulations. Maureen, how did you get here? Well, um, I started as a commercial analyst and I worked with all the different leases in retail, industrial and office uh, for Belcor. And so doing the billings, working with the different regional groups, um, the energy, particularly if it was being captured in CAM for the common areas, you could just see, um, you know, the tenants were pushing back, trying to understand why costs were so different. And then also just realizing the difference in the cost, whether it was regionally, whether it was by property type or even by the type of inefficiency that some of the buildings had and the sensitivity to price. 
And then as my career went on, whether it was leasing um, and building assets like working with Prudential and working for Zelle, the, um, it, there's a huge sensitivity um, to that ultimate cost. And then of course, foot load, the late foot load and all these other um, kind of, you know, the operating pieces as well. So ultimately getting into facilities and getting on the occupier side and really better understanding um, the appetite for investment in energy, the importance of reduction, and then the trends over the last 10 years. Jim, you talk about the fits and starts. The biggest issue is it can't be a trend. It can't be a fit and start any longer, just given the goals we've got for the environment. So it's, it's such a really a foundational element of any, anybody who's operating real estate. And for us, the ESG is very important. And of course, Realcom and the digital piece is the way we're all going to get there. Yeah, I, I, it, and we're going to get there in a second, but you're absolutely right. I mean, all these great goals and decades, but you're not getting to E without tech. It is not. Innovation that, that will be applied to these buildings is what's going to help solve this problem. So Mike Brookfield, big company, lots of assets. It is. It is. So you, so you, been, you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try. So, so yeah, I've been with um, Brookfield now for almost five years, uh, commercial real estate for just over eight years. Um, most of my commercial real estate experience has been focused on the asset management side, actually kind of running the business strategy and planning for individual properties. Um, at Brookfield, obviously doing that gives the opportunity to do it at scale. And so a few years after I had been doing asset management for about uh, half of our uh, New York City office portfolio. Uh, our ES, our, our um, asset manager lead and regional lead basically came to me and said, you know, look, we're getting so much attention from investors and tenants on ESG, and we don't really have anyone who's specifically focused on managing our ESG strategy. So she she offered me the opportunity to start this brand new role at the time. And my first um, kind of task was to put together an ESG business plan, similar to how we do asset management business plans for these properties, mm-hmm. to lay out specific projects, tie some metrics to them, present it right alongside of the financial business plan. And that really led to some involvement into some renewable electricity deals. Uh, we started scaling up some of the strategy that we've employed here in New York across the U.S. And that kind of U.S. energy-wide perspective brought me now to the perspective where I'm leading sustainability for Brookfield's U.S. office portfolio, which is about 100 office properties across uh, many of the major markets in the U.S. So, um, you know, that's the approach I'm, I'm you know, focused on right now. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, and, and, and thank you. And the, and the, the downside of, of this heavy lift of yours, all of yours, the upside is if you do figure it out at scale, then, then we got real shot at this thing. Right. Exactly. And what, and what's amazing to me, I mean, I've known probably for 15 years, at least that us buildings have spent 40 to 45% of, of the U S energy bill. Right. I mean, we powering these buildings is, is, and it's not automobiles. I mean, I know all the attention focused on cars and, and I get it. Uh, we should do that as well, but, why do you think, uh, and anybody take a stab at this, why do you think we've ignored this for so long? I mean, we're the big user of energy, which contributes to uh, this, this uh, global um, uh, global warming and climate issue problem. Uh, we'll start with Maureen. Maureen, why, why have we ignored this for so long? You know, in my experience, different groups have made it a priority a lot longer than other have. others have, but yet... When you look on the whole, it's probably the 80-20 rule, unfortunately, but there have been groups that for years and years have been very, very committed 
to the whole area of sustainability and energy reduction. But when you start looking at even different property management groups and they're working as an agent for the owner and they don't, they don't even realize the impact it can have on value. When someone was looking even several years ago, if someone realized that a property was being run so inefficiently or a complex was being run that way, that was a great opportunity for someone who is more aware to come in and buy it at a lower price, knowing the savings that they could be driving with some of these initiatives. So I, I do think part of it is just unfortunately a lack of true understanding of the topic and the value add it can have based, um, versus the look at, well, we need some capital up front. I'm not really sure there's an ROI for me. And unless I get a two-year payback, I'm not going to put that money in because my yep. whole piece is short. So depending on, I would say, maybe the occupiers, the ones that are like living in the buildings and paying the bills, some of them have paid a little bit more attention, but also some of the top of the line property management companies of owners have had it on the radar for a long time. Mike, Clayton, anything you want to add to that? I think one of the interesting things is that um, I think probably since you know 2015, like Paris Agreement, that has been one of these catalysts across the market to draw renewed attention to it. I would agree with what Marie was saying about you know a certain amount of the market who is very focused on going in and adding value through energy efficiency, saving the owners money, saving tenant occupiers money. Um, now there seems to be much more of a global coalition across this theme of you know mitigating the impact of climate change. Um, and I think that's kind of drawn a renewed interest to a lot of these issues that have been there for a while. But now, you know, I think the building sector in particular is one where, you know, we don't necessarily have the same challenges like maybe, you know, long haul shipping or aviation in terms of trying to get to net zero. Like we've got proven technologies that we can roll it at scale. And now it's a question of just kind of getting everyone on board. Right. Right. Clayton. Yeah. You know, Jim, being working for a company that was founded by a degreed engineer. Uh, I, I have to say, we've never let up. Mr. Hines recognized it was a business value add and candidly a service back to our tenants and our occupants. And so we've been at it steady Eddie for well over 50 years. I, I think I think there's a couple of factors here. I think, you know, you do reach a point where you've done what you can do with what you have at a building and it kind of plateaus. And the more efficient you run the building, the harder it is to find what else you can do. But there is always something else. I think our bigger problem is the gap between the leaders, the people that are doing this, they understand the business case and the people that aren't doing it. And unfortunately, by virtue of leaders, right? Leaders is not 50% of the industry. Leaders is a much smaller segment of the industry. And I, I think for the world and society, I think our true opportunity is finding some way to expand the people that are doing it. Uh, and I think, I think it's got to be part of the, the direction we're going and how we're going to get there. Well, and then even within the class A group, you know, there's a small percentage of leaders don't even talk about the B's and the C's, you know, who've got, you know, 30 year old air conditioners hanging out of the door, out of the windows that, that you're right. I mean, we need leadership in all various segments of our industry. So 40 to 45 percent is the number that's thrown around. And, you know, to me, just kind of looking at a building, the big heavy load seems HVAC seems to be the biggest contributor. And then, you know, on the lighting and others. Let's talk about some of some of the things that are you know, and, and expand upon this, you know, this idea. Maureen, what are the big offenders? Why do we use so much energy in buildings? Yeah, well, some of it is just the basic design. So, you know, we you had constant air volume systems that were actually, you know, some of the older buildings that they can be pretty efficient. Um, the problem is that when you start designing space and you don't have VAV boxes, you don't have some of those 
internal features that all of a sudden your building becomes obsolete or antiquated. And yeah. there hasn't been a long-term vision on how the HVAC, because if you think about, unless it's one enormous tenant or a group of very large tenants, you have so many smaller tenants with different lease expiration uh, times. And then if you think of ownership, very often ownership changes over a period of time, it just kind of becomes a, a cluster and you've got to take a step yeah. back and really figure out what well, you want to do. I mean, Michael, you, you know, a lot of your buildings in New York City, I mean, four people come in on a Saturday afternoon and you got to light up the whole floor, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I was going to mention exactly that. I mean, some of these are like lease obligation driven. And, you know, some of it's like we just don't have the information sometimes until we put in like occupancy sensing technology to be able to go back to the tenant and be like, you know, you're running this per our lease obligation, but exactly what you're saying, Jim, there were three people on the floor. There was no one on the floor. Right. No one we on had it automatically scheduled because that was a lease obligation. So maybe yeah. we need to take a look at how the leases are done and take a look at the technology we have in the building to actually inform us. Well, and vice yeah. versa, you, know, you, only need a little bit of, you only need a little bit of space on a Saturday. And because of the way it's set up, you call mm -hmm. and say, hey, I'm going to need the after hours air. And it's yeah. like, woof, my entire space floors are all running, right? And they're going to run for four hours, whether you like it or not. And then also, um, you know, there are some yeah, agreements, right. even with the unions, where there's expectation on when equipment goes on and when it goes off. So it really is going to take a coalition, even, you know, with some of the operators to kind of align on what's fair, what's yeah. right. Again, you could address it with automation. So there are, it's huge opportunity, but that inefficiency and that cost, and keep in mind, we're talking about energy right now. But that carbon piece, the embodied carbon, is also going to come into play here because the more you can recycle, the better. But that means keeping a lot of the existing walls where they are not demolishing everything constantly and putting it in landfill. So it's just being really smart and strategic about how you're planning your iterations. Yep. But, but also, Jim, I, I, yeah, I think, I think one of the good things is I think the data is going to get refined and it's going to change. Uh, I think we're going to and I don't know this, but I think we're going to find that the estimates are high on the building side. I think Boma's already saying that they're not right, that they're overestimated. It'll be interesting to see that. And I also think we need to think about the fact that, you know, the life of buildings is probably way more than many other things in our society, you know, and I can tell you when I started doing this, electricity was two cents a kilowatt hour and gas was 50 cents an MCF and the economics looked totally different when electricity goes to a dollar a kilowatt hour. And so I, I think we I think we ought to be careful that we're not doing a good job, but the economics are changing on us and and all of us are for profit businesses, right? And so while we can do better when longer paybacks, and I think that's gonna be some of the benefits of the carbon world, I think we're gonna have return on investment and carbon on investment. And we're gonna put the two of those together and do things we couldn't do in the past. But I also think that the picture's changed a lot when you're trying to do a return on something at two cents a kilowatt hour versus 10 or 15 or 20, that that economics looks different. And look, all of us have investors that are looking for a return and we have a fiduciary responsibility to balance all this for them, help society, help our world, but but do it in a way that still is good business. Absolutely. And that's and there's a lot of arguments and discussions going on on that. You know, the two sides of the fiduciary responsibility, the, the financial and the ESG, sometimes they're not totally aligned and then they actually create tension. Right. And, and that that's got to get figured out. I hope you um, if you get a chance on real calm live, go up to YouTube. I think it was last week or the week before we did a phenomenal real calm live. Uh, on low voltage, and we probably had six, seven of the top low voltage people, literally, if, if not the country, maybe even the world. 
And, you know, first people think low voltage, the first application is going to be lighting and it is, but these folks are doing some stuff with motors and, and in, in, in my, I have been pushing, uh, these are, these are all my people. I, I've been thinking about low voltage, you know, as an architecture in a building for probably 25 years now, there's some real opportunities here. And we're going to be talking about low voltage a lot at the conference. We have been for the last couple of years, but we're really going to step it up this year. Cause I think it's one of the tools that you folks can use, but that's where we really got to, you know, have the departments start to overlap each other and talking to each other, ESG, talking to IT, talking to, you know, engineering. I mean, this is an all hands on on deck kind of situation. And, and but there are you said you said earlier, Michael, there's some great tools out there um, that we've got at our disposal. Let's take a brief break and hear from one of our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to have a conversation on what we're going to be talking about in June at the forum. Uh, don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. Everything in real estate accounts payable has been automated. Except invoice coding. Coding invoices for approval and payment still relies on manual data entry. It's slow, error-prone, and just not scalable. Predict AP was founded by real estate insiders to automate invoice coding. They tried everything else first, OCR, outsourcing, but every solution fell short of actual coding. Predict AP fully automates invoice coding for real estate companies. Unlike other solutions, Predict AP provides fully coded invoices ready for your existing automated AP workflows. It works with your current AP automation system, so you can keep the workflow you already trust. Your AP team can review the coded invoices, revise or accept our predictions, and send to your AP workflow with one click. Get your AP team out of the data entry business and onto higher value work. Automate invoice coding with Predict AP. That that little sponsor commercial made me think, well, at least we've gotten rid of some paper and some file cabinets over the years. <laughs> well, the only problem is we probably replaced them with a data center that's you know eating up some electricity. So we, we got to keep our eyes on this topic. Um, before we get to the forum and the topics we're going to be covering, something, one of the questions I was thinking about before and had on my list to ask you was, you know, you got real estate on one side, the space, you got technology as a tool on the, on the other side, but in the middle of all this, you got people. And I've been around the industry long enough to know how siloed commercial and corporate, you know, and the tenant side, you know, how siloed organizations can be, especially when you bring the tenant into the conversation, because they've got their own siloed organization. So, uh, Clayton, let's start with you. How do we break down the silos as it relates to solving the sustainability issue, you know, especially you know, when you start talking about from a smart standpoint, from a technology standpoint? Lots of people got to be involved. Have you done some things at Heinz that have brought people together to collectively work on this, or are you still feeling some of the pain of each person trying to solve the problem on their own? You know, Jim, we, uh, we created a digital strategy office for Heinz and IT business process and corporate data and analytics sits underneath that. And I'm currently looking for a property technology lead where I define property technology as the culmination of hardware and software that creates a service for the occupant or the building that stays with the building much like a utility when the building transacts. And I, I think that's that's the path. I think you're exactly right. We, we've reached a point where silos don't work. In the old days, they did because you could say, oh, that's accounting, that's engineering, that's IT. And I think I think I think there's the, the challenges internally with the process. And then I think there's the challenges externally with the other stakeholders. And I 
I, I hope that this is going to drive to really recognize the, the cooperative need between the occupants, the tenants, and the building because we've got to do better there. Yeah. I don't. I don't think it's green leases. I think green leases is a hammer. I think this is in everybody's best interest. And what we're going to see is we're going to see this process that we're going to go through over the years and long years ahead are going to create some alignment where tenants are going to need us to be better at managing the building and managing their space. Investors are going to need us to be better because we're all going to become accountable. And I think if you look at local law 97 in New York, it's the perfect example, right? They don't care who consume the energy. They don't care who owned the building. If you don't meet their stand, their their thresholds, you get a fine and no one wins. And so we're going to assess that money and then figure out how we use that money productively to create a better building as opposed to paying a fine. So I think we're on our way. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I'm that's one of the things I think I'm most proud of is that in, in the real com community, we bring all the stakeholders. So the tenant the occupier, the landlord, the integrator, the manufacturer. You can't call any, we, we, we've we been trying to break down silos ourselves within the industry because you can't have, you know, one person go to one conference and then another one goes to another and then they never, you got to get all these people in the same room and, and figure this out across departments, across organizations. Yep. And Jim, you um, may remember we did a session on carbon a, a few years ago at RealCom. Oh, and yeah, it was yeah. the first time, it was the first time some of those people had helped heard about it and we had a really a guy in there that i really respect a lot that wanted to debate it and i respected him so much i had to understand why we see it differently and and there was some clear reasons of our global investors our european investors our tenants and his tenants and it's it, it, it's going to be challenging but it's you're thing. not getting to this finish line without debate and disagreement i'm sorry <laughs> you have a hundred years of buildings okay that we have to unwind into a new trajectory it's not going to be easy <laughs> it's just not mike how about your organizational constraints how do you deal with them yeah i think there's a couple of things one is to underscore the communication between uh you know manager and occupier like, like clayton was saying i mean there have been situations where we know we can have an outsized impact on the emissions from a building through renewable energy procurement for example and we'd come to find out that one of our tenants has already bought you know recs for their entire corporate office across the country and so you know had we kind of been more proactive in our plans in terms of getting out in front of them and saying, hey, we're going to buy uh, you know renewable power for this building. You guys don't have to. We're going to provide that as a service to this building. And that would have been really you know helpful, obviously, for the tenant. But then globally, I think, um, you know, back to the net zero effort, a global commitment to a net zero target has also started to break down a lot of those silos. I think more than ever now across this vast like Brookfield ecosystem, for example, we're talking across regions, across asset types, sharing best practices. I think that's gonna be critical no matter where you are, because if you're gonna have that leverage scale, you have to be able to communicate across all those boundaries that are typically prevented it. Yeah, that, that's what we do. We scrape the globe looking for best practices. When we find them, we put them on stages, let everybody hear it and then debate and then you know, move forward. That that yep. you're, you, that's the goal. Maureen, you've been with a lot of big organizations. Have you uh, been able to beat up the silos? Well, uh, you know, it's funny. It's almost like forces of nature ha has done it for us, and mm -hmm. and it really starts with everything today. Really seems to really be around human centric, whether it's design around how people use the space, how they work in the space, how they own the space, and what their needs are. And so, when you start with looking at why is this building here and who is using it and who's consuming the space? What makes them productive? 
you start to have to integrate all of those different areas because you're coming up with different solutions. And I mean, the name of the game right now, it's you know frictionless, it's fluid, it's flexibility, agility. And that whole dynamic nature is being fueled by all the technology. So I think it's the force of technology, the force of this concept of human nature, and even some of the things we have to grapple with are the fact that the more we, you know, like for example, reduce the amount of indoor, uh, outdoor air uh, we're taking in to keep control and keep the air controlled at a comfort level, right, at a certain price, we learn that cognitive function suffers. And so the more fresh air we take in, and I think you look at uh, JPMC's new tower, you know, in New York, it's fabulous. And it's all designed around human, uh, human-centric design and productivity. And it's going to, it's teaching us a new paradigm in which to look at real estate and the way we manage our energy. But going back to your point solution, you can't take a hundred point solutions without a strategy and have success, right? No, that's the new blueprint, yeah. right? right? It's a new blueprint. Like when we think of the old blueprints and sepias, it's very much, okay, this is what's as built. Here's my MEPs. But now when you're looking at that, that's where you have to start looking at the touch points, the experience that different stakeholders have in that. And how are you kind yeah. of curating the space and the different experiences? Look at your experience right now, for example, right? And so that really sets a new blueprint, which is a dynamic yeah. one that has different elements than that static one-dimensional that we were used to looking at. Yeah, well, and there, that's another level of, of organizational integration you know, through the right. construction process. The re there's more organizations. It gets complicated. Clayton, you had some? Yeah, one of the things the industry is going to need is to simplify this. I mean, it, it's a humongous topic it's extremely complex it, it's got all these tentacles and and we're fortunate right we're fortunate we got the resources we got the owners ships backing we got investors and tenants that care and so it's it's a struggle for us to get our arms around it and consume it but if you don't have these resources it's impossible and so one of the things that we could do for the industry over time is try to simplify it and force it to be simpler than than it's it's desire to want to be more and more complex. Well, it's leaders like you. That's why, you know, you've got 10 jobs already. You find the time to come on Realcom Live. You find time to volunteer your time for the conference. You know, I mean, you're you're paving. It's it's our community and all of you, you know, that are paving the way for this uh, to make it easier for the next folks, because unless you have resources, unless you have commitments, it doesn't get done. Smaller companies just can't can't do this. So I, again, thank you to all of you. So we're we're going to run out of time real quick. Thirty seconds uh, answer, Clayton. What's the one topic we've got to cover at the sustainability forum? Make it worth its time. What, this, what's the one that just floats close to the top for you? This starts with where you are and data, accurate, credible data to anchor yourself on because you're going to have to report your progress. If you start off without a sound foundation, you're not going to be able to manage it. And there's not an industry solution. There's people that think there's an industry solution, but there is not. Yeah, and we've been having some big conversations on this offline, how hard it is to even just get some basic, consistent data. It's not as easy as people think, and it's 2023. Mike, what's number one for you? Yeah, I would, I would echo the uh, the standardized, actionable data that you know you can carry forward and communicate to anyone you need to. I mean, working on a, a big standardization project with Oscar, for example, where we're just trying to define the terms and be able to integrate that into all the technology that we can do to share our progress going forward. And I think uh, you know, it's that actionable data that you can you can see through the throughout the. And I'm glad I'm glad to 
the word. Lisa and all of her predecessors have worked hard at Oscar to try to find some real solid ground on the standards. And I think ESG is probably a great place to have that happen. So, Maureen? I think momentum and velocity. So um, I saw a lot of surveys recently that people are exhausted. They're absolutely exhausted over this topic already. And <laughs> we're just getting going. And so we're how do you going, just going going and so the problem is this time has got to be different because like you said it's fits and starts with sustainability and energy and then all of a sudden i saw a survey the other day a bunch of people said well okay we think this is a passe topic can't be a passe topic if we've got the 2050 goals the 2030 goals so well, how is it well, different yeah. this time that the velocity and the commitment and people's understanding of this fact that this is a global issue it's a domestic issue why and how are we tackling it and why is it going to? Well, I mean, this 40 to 45%, that's not going away. The energy right. consumption, the inefficiencies right. of the buildings, walk in any building, you can see it. Tech, you're not getting over the finish line without technology. We'll see. I mean, we'll see the response to this forum. I mean, we are going to laser in on the problem, laser in on the solution. We're bringing case studies to the forefront. We're going to provide some answers. And if nobody shows up, you got an answer. I'm hoping I'm, you know, that's not the case, <laughs> um, but we're, we're going to do our best. We're, that's all we can do is do our best to, to get smart people like you and, and get these answers on the table and hopefully people will, will jump in. So unfortunately we are out of time. Uh, thank you so much to all of you. I know how busy your schedules are and for you to take a, a half hour, hour to, to get this done today. I really appreciate it. And, and all your work with the sustainability forum, it's looking like it's going to be a great program. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough. So, Thank you, Jim. Have a great Thank day. Thank you. Great weekend. Take Thank care. Bye, everybody. All right. With that, let's bring on one of my favorite parts of Realcom Live, the news. Uh, there we are. Howard, uh, so much hey, going Jim. on. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. This stuff seems to be uh, increasing daily, and I don't know how you keep up with it, but you seem to find the right articles to show us each and every week. Well, I hope we got the right ones this week. I mean, there's a, there is, a, you're right, there's a lot going on. And, All right. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> But I, I just want to, you know, I want to take a moment and thank you, Jim. But thank you, Maureen, Clayton, Michael. Uh, you guys have been, uh, you know, giving your time, your energy. Thank you for all your contributions, not only to our inaugural Environmental Sustainability Forum, which, by the way, for our listeners, is going to be held the afternoon of June 13th. So our pre-conference day, the day before RealCom uh, IBCon actually kicks off at Caesars in Las Vegas. Um, and, and thank you. Thank you all for joining us here today. This is a great show and an important show. Uh, so I'll get on to the news. Uh, so we had to do a weekly briefing that goes out every Thursday morning. If for any reason you don't see it in your inbox, just go to realcom.com and click on news. You can subscribe there. So today's lead story is by Rob Stark. Uh, he's a senior executive director for strategy and operations at MAP which is one of the leading property managers in London. It's entitled The Smart Building Revolution. So I really like the way Rob characterizes smart buildings. And he says quite eloquently, I, I would add, the smart building should automate and integrate all aspects of energy management, lighting, HVAC, and with the right technology, provide a high degree of flexibility and personalization for the occupants with things like frictionless access and seamless wayfinding, and not to forget uh, that it must have things like ubiquitous connectivity. Uh, and if it's done right, these features in the smartest buildings are going to go virtually unnoticed uh, by the user because it's either predicted or provided their needs on demand. Now, Rob further delves into the data and analytic requirements and various presentation layers, as well as IoT and cyber that need to come together in a comprehensive smart building strategy. So great article. Really encourage you to read it. Thank you, Rob, for just 
for this fantastic uh, uh, story. Um, second, PACS RealCom IBCon attendees, you're probably familiar with our Smart Building Best Practice Showcase uh, that we do at the conference where we bring in 30 plus real estate execs representing some of the most iconic smart building pro projects from around the world where they can mix with attendees in a very informal yet highly interactive poster type session. So this week we're highlighting one of these projects, uh, developer strategic property partners uh, and their project Water Street Tampa. It's Florida's first smart district. It is a connected urban multi-use project on the waterfront spanning 56 acres with 9 million square feet, new commercial, residential, educational, entertainment, cultural and retail space. It's complete with a state-of-the-art communications infrastructure with publicly accessible 5G Wi-Fi mobile services platform for reserving everything from parking to personal services and amenities. So check out this important project. Uh, next, the fourth annual 2023 VTS Global Landlord Report highlights that 62% of landlords don't have the tools to understand their tenant utilization, even though they're pushing to prioritize tenant retention and experience. So VTS surveyed hundreds of industry leaders worldwide and found out that as new office demand continues to falter, 87% of the landlords say that for 2023, they're going to be much more concerned with retaining existing tenants than acquiring new ones. So over half reported daily tenant occupancy rates under 30%. So strengthening existing tenant relationships and investing in the technology to get employees back to the workplaces will be key to success. Nearly all reported that they need to create a hospitality-like experience for their buildings for their, in their buildings for their tenants. The problem is that less than half have the tools to really understand in real time how tenants are actually using the space and amenities. So just food for thought. Uh, this is a good read. Finally, an unsettling observation on the state of our future cyber preparedness. So according to a recent Gardner report, today's cyber professionals are facing unsustainable levels of stress. And this could lead many to pursue jobs outside the sector. So Gartner's predicting that nearly half cybersecurity pros may change their jobs by 2025. And the resulting talent churn can make it really difficult to recruit and retain adequate security force. Um, so businesses, I think, uh, as a result, uh, uh, need to be more proactive, really need to up their game with formal risk management programs, get proactive. And instead of thinking that this is not going to happen to them, um, and they may use, they may need to use managed security service providers uh, as part of their uh, as part of their strategy. So uh, this is one we can't afford to ignore. Um, that I mean, so that was just a few of this week's highlights. Yeah, that last that Lord, last last story just sends chills up my spine because I mean we've been part actively you know, active roles in the real estate cyber consortium now for five six years, right from the very beginning, and we know the problem. We know this the, how important it is. And to hear that that stress is causing that kind of job force reduction is is we got to we got to figure this one out. There's we have no option. Yeah, I think a lot of the problem is a lot of companies just aren't paying attention to it, so they're burdening their their you know their their cyber teams, uh, not uh, you know and not giving them tools they need uh, to proactively you know face it head on. Great story. Glad glad, glad you put that one on the top. Uh, yeah, great job. Sure. All right. So listen, you have a great weekend, and uh, Howard, uh, you always do a great job. So before we uh, talk about next week's show, let's hear from our final sponsor, and then I'll tell you what we're up to next week. SkySpark is an analytics platform that automatically analyzes data from automation systems, meters, sensors, and other smart devices in order to identify issues, faults, trends, 
correlations, and opportunities for operational improvements and cost reduction. SkySpark works with data of all types, whether it be live data from automation systems, smart meters, web services, or historical data from CSV files and databases. SkySpark can also be used in a wide variety of applications, including energy and resource management and reporting, monitoring-based commissioning, equipment fault detection, energy analysis, load profiling, facility benchmarking, and asset performance tracking. Visit skyfoundry.com today and start finding what matters. All right, well, before we get on to next week, just a big shout out, big thank you to our three guests, uh, guests Maureen, Mike, and Clayton, uh, three superstars. We, we have two other folks who are on the advisory panel, um, but we're not able to make it today. And thank you to them as well for all of their work uh, on the forum that's coming up in June. Also, thank you to our sponsors and to our great Realcom team to put this on each week. So next week, a uh, topic near and dear to my heart, uh, the intelligent building uh, journey uh, from the standpoint of the boot camp. Uh, we do a boot camp at Realcom and IBCon every year. I think it's uh, must be more than 10 years run by uh, the intelligent buildings folks. And next week, we got Rob Merchantson, the co-founder of Intelligent Buildings, and Schoenberg. Uh, the VP of Client Services and Intelligent Buildings, and we're going to give us a really good overview on what we uh, expect to see this year. Uh, that that event changes, evolves. The smart building journey continues to change and evolve, and they're staying right on it. And for those people who are just getting in, they provide a great foundation uh, to better understand and move forward on smart buildings. So with that, I'd like to say thank you to all uh, for watching. Have a great day, great weekend. Uh, we'll see you next week. Be well.